This episode is brought to you by my brand new free source, 10 Tips for Money Date Success. Get it at yaeltrush.com forward slash money date. You hear me talk about the money date and I heard you say, I can't do this. I can't succeed at this. It's too much. No more, my friend. No more overwhelm. I'm giving you my true and tested 10 tips to succeed at the money date. Plus, when you sign up to receive these, I will be sending you bonus tips to identify and avoid common money date pitfalls as well as bonus proven scripts for money date invitations that your husband won't be able to refuse. So good, right? If you've been curious about the money date, but felt it's too overwhelming to do, I've got you covered. Download my 10 tips for money date success so that you can get along both with your money and your honey. Get it at yaeltrush.com forward slash money date. Jewish Money Matters episode 266, trusting yourself around abundance with certified weight loss specialist and holistic integrative nutritionist, Lily Aronin. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters, the podcast where Jewish wisdom and spirituality meet your money and your business. Money is a means to serve God in this world with joy, to build a life that leaves an imprint way beyond our time in this world. I want you to discover the secrets to Jewish wealth, to gain practical and spiritual tools to break free from the shackles of financial worry, to design the joyful, rich life that your soul desires. Welcome to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, and I'm so glad you're here. Do you trust yourself around abundance? Not just financial abundance, but the abundance of food, something our generation has been blessed with. And how about commingling misconstrued notions of God and Judaism with destructive beliefs about your weight, creating severely destructive patterns? These are some of the powerful questions I explore today with my guest, Lily Aronin. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, your host. I have the founder of Miss Thrive Well, holistic integrative nutritionist, certified weight loss specialist, and healthy chef, Lily Aronin. Welcome to the show. Let me tell you, Lily and I talk about the parallels between our relationship with food and our relationship with money, her journey with weight loss and how this became one of those challenges that gave her meaning and purpose and launched her career. Why does Lily put emphasis on helping women deal with Shabbat specifically? What big shifts happen when they're able to master their mindset and behavior when it comes to food heavy days like Shabbat? And what about when we drag God into our harmful beliefs about weight? The important difference between spontaneity and impulsivity. Lily shares her financial wins as well as the things she's had to overcome. This is an honest and raw episode that I feel many in the audience will find easy to relate to. I enjoy this conversation tremendously, and I think you will too. Here's Lily Aronin. Welcome to Jewish Money Matters. It's so good to have you on the show. How are you? I am great. I am so excited to be here. I am so excited for this conversation too. You, It's really great to have you. You're the founder of Miss Thrive Well. You're a holistic, integrative nutritionist a certified weight loss specialist and a healthy chef. I don't need you for the health for the weight loss, but I might need you for the healthy chef situation. <laughs> that sounds exciting. No, really, Lily, I really I'm excited when we brainstormed a little bit about this episode. Um, I got really excited because, you know, I know that it's, sometimes people don't see the parallel, but I do see a lot of parallels between our relationship with food and our relationship with money. Um, and hopefully you can shed some light on those and even some solutions to the common struggles that we have with those things. And I know that you've worked through 
many of these things. So, but before we do that, I really want to ask you to walk us through your own journey with food, or maybe it's health, perhaps, which led you to this professional path and to start Miss Thrive Well. So thank you so much. Uh, I absolutely see a lot of, for myself personally, and I follow my clients, a lot of parallels between our relationship with money and God and our relationship with food and Judaism and God. And for me, it started from a very young age. I was always in that 90th percentile of height and weight. I was always big. It was, it was bigger than my mom. I grew up, my mother is um, four foot 11, five foot one, and like 90 pounds dripping wet. And I'm five, six, and I'm a much bigger build than my mother does. And I'm the only girl. So I didn't have any sisters to compare myself to um, and feel not so bigger than I should be. But mm -hmm. I felt like I was too big. And I always struggled with my weight as long as I can remember from the youngest childhood. I don't have a childhood memory where I didn't feel uncomfortable in my own skin. Wow. And that's a, re that's a really hard thing, but it's, it's a true thing. And now from where I am today, I can look back and I can see how the same way our childhood money story impacts us as an adult, that childhood feeling of feeling uncomfortable in my body. And as I got older, dealing with sneut and modesty uh, in, 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 you know, the base Yaakov school I was in and going through that was very difficult because I didn't feel like I fit. I felt like if I, everything I should be wearing didn't look good on me. Wow. And like everything that I felt like was a fit for my body wasn't considered appropriate. Mm -hmm. And I remember crying and praying to Hashem, like, I know why you're keeping me overweight because I won't be sneeze if I, if I, if I lose weight. <gasps> and like, I remember, I remember crying about this. Oh my gosh and wrong. And that I just didn't fit. I didn't fit in this box of how I was supposed to look and how things were supposed to be. And uh, it wasn't until I went to Israel for the year mm -hmm. that that for me. Um, I'd been on, I don't know how many diets in high school, how many pills I ordered over the internet. I can't believe children are allowed to do these things, right? Mail order, oh um, how many Weight Watchers, everything that I could think of. And my parents tried, they took me into a nutritionist, right? And um, the nutritionist basically said, look, you like healthy food. If you stay at this weight that you're now, you're overweight for your age, but you know what? You're going to get taller and it'll even out. Mm. I hit adult weight at about 11, 12 years old. What today is my weight. Mm. I was at 12 years old. And now watching my own daughters go through that, I'm so blessed that I had that experience. That I can tell them this is totally normal. This is our genetics. Like you are good. Do not even think about losing weight. Don't think about dieting. Like this is, we hit our development and we, we hit our, our adult weight and it's okay. And things will shift and, and it's all good. But I didn't, I didn't have anyone to, to let me know that I wasn't just going to keep getting bigger. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, I did just keep getting bigger and, um, Every time someone would comment about weight loss, I would put the weight back on because I would feel so uncomfortable. Um, I, I'm somebody who values my intelligence a lot. I have a lot of degrees. <laughs> I collect them. <laughs> and uh, I didn't, once you get to that space, you feel like, well, either if you're not going to be the, the thin one, yeah. right? Art one. Mm -hmm. So that if people are commenting on your body, it's really uncomfortable. Like 
And again, with this whole sneeze thing, like, why are you looking at my body? I'm not like, I see if I lose weight, everyone's just going to look at my body. And so it's not safe to lose weight. It's not safe to feel good. And it was a really difficult thing for me. What changed for me was when I went to Israel for the year, um, I really promised myself that I wouldn't care about grades. I wouldn't care about anything except for my relationship to Torah and like opening myself up to what's out there. And this was and, after high school. Yeah. Right after high school, I went to Darfei Bina in Jerusalem. And for me, that was amazing because I had to cook all my own food. Basically we didn't get, we got like one meal a day and it was gross. So when I cooked my own food, I, st- I lost 25 pounds in seminary. Wow. I walked there. Everybody else around me was asking me like to come and eat with me because I was making stir fries and soups and salads. And because I wanted to, because it was yummy and, and fruits and vegetables were abundant and delicious in Israel. And it was easy, as easy as make. And I sometimes had bowls of cereal, but like without anybody making a big deal of it, it was very natural to me until I came right back, came back to um, uh, uh, Jewish university and all of the pressure for Shiduchim came on. And I'd already decided, uh, I'd already decided that I wasn't getting married till I was 30 because I wasn't going to lose weight for anybody. And obviously everybody's telling me how everybody wants a skinny person. So like no big deal, <laughs> no big deal. Like I'm just not going to get married till I'm 30. I'm going to focus on my career. And Hashem had other plans. Um, I got married like to the first guy I dated at 19. Hashem was like, no, this person, and he's going to accept you exactly as you are. And I remember going to the seamstress with my wedding dress from the Gemach, which was beautiful. And I loved again, Hashem blessed me. I showed up at the Gemach and the first wedding dress, like I saw there, someone had just dropped off and it was like almost my size and it was perfect. And I remember taking it to the seamstress and she's like, so we're, so we're not going to, do anything to it because I know you're going to want to lose weight before your wedding. And I'm like, no, that's not my plan. And she's like, no, I know. But like, everybody wants to go on a diet before their wedding, right? You want to look your best. And I said, if this guy has to have me diet to marry me, he is obviously the wrong guy for me. Right. And it was so hard to withstand the pressure of not like really just, "Mm." Until until after I was married, and that kind of started. I went and got my degree in psychology, and and health and nutrition and holistic health became kind of my hobby at that point. But you and had lost the weight. You kept the weight, or you I, said you gained the weight. Five pounds. I was. I don't mind sharing numbers. I was two hundred pounds at my heaviest, and I got married at one seventy. Mm-hmm. And today I live between one thirty five and one forty. So it's a big difference, but I, I got married. I was 170 to 165 until through all four children that I had. I had five children through four children and I just got healthier and healthier, but my weight stayed in that zone. If I gained weight in my pregnancy, I lost it. And I, to me, I thought that was normal. That was what body acceptance would mean until my fifth baby and my fifth baby. Uh, I had already started uh, switch jobs. I just become a holistic nutritionist. I've been practicing for five years. And I was really at the best health shape of my life at 165. And I really believed that. And then I gained 50 pounds of that pregnancy. And it has a lot to do with my money story. I was wow. my husband to school. I was solo supporting for all four years that he had been, that he was in school. That was through my, like 
deciding to get pregnant, being pregnant the entire pregnancy. He's looking for a job, looking for a job, looking for a job, can't find a job. And the pressure and the tension in the house is like escalating and escalating and escalating. And I put on 50 pounds on healthy food, just eating, like eating because I was in such scarcity about money. I was in such about money. I was eating healthy food, but it just wasn't enough. There wasn't enough food to, to get through everything. And after I had my fifth baby was when I said, um, first of all, I was so ashamed and I was so embarrassed because uh, also I was a public at that point and I'd been coaching for a number of years. And I said, if I have to do this, then I have to do it not just for me. It has to be a bigger mission because I've been through too much to heal my relationship with food, but mm-hmm. I've never I don't but what, what was the last thing you said, but what touch the scale. I don't believe in the scale. I, I don't believe in weight. I don't believe in any of this stuff. If I have to go into that zone, I have to, whatever it takes, whatever mm-hmm. work I do on myself, I am going to get to, to a place where this is the last time I have to lose weight. And the last time that I feel ashamed of weight and feel like weight is something that I, I struggle with. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not because this is going to be a lot of work. And if I'm going to put that much work in, it can't be a temporary solution. And so that started my, my journey. And I lost, um, actually lost like 80 pounds. Like I gained, I'd gained 50, but I lost 80. And I, it's funny because I got to that weight that I'd been when I'd been at that nutritionist and, um, my body has been very happy staying there. And if I tell you that I eat today, like the most tiniest, tiniest difference between how I eat today and how I ate at 170, barely noticeable. There are a few changes, but barely noticeable. It was more the honesty and the integrity of how, of dealing with the emotional eating, Mm -hmm. dealing with scarcity, dealing with the diet mindset about this is off limits. This is a treat. I can't have this. I have to earn it. Mm -hmm. All of those old beliefs, but on a day-to-day basis, I was very healthy at 170 and I'm very healthy today. But the, those were the things that are really, were really the difference makers. I didn't know that at the time, but it's pretty much uh, it. And, And so one of the big, big things I had to confront to heal, to lose that weight was start to change my money story because I realized that the number one fight in my marriage, my entire marriage, and the number one thing that triggers me to eat is feeling um, trapped mm. and as such a way that I feel like I could be trapped. And the more faith and bitachon that I have, the more nothing can touch me, the more free it is. No, nothing can trap me. And even my own body, even weight, nothing can, can trap you. Right. And so that how I feel like to me, there's a very intimate connection between food and money. Yeah. And I know that in your work, you talk about something that I, I preach about a lot and you know that, which is not, not depriving ourselves, the lack of deprivation. Um, I wonder if you can elaborate on that, because I think this is also an important point um, that many food experts or weight loss experts you know, base their programs on and many financial experts also, um, whereas you do something different. And not only it's the lack of deprivation, but also the not having to rely constantly on your willpower and, you know, that discipline. So maybe you can expand on that. 
Absolutely. So over time, coaching people through weight loss, I saw there were people who would lose weight really easily. And then just they really struggled in the keeping it up. And there were people who would lose weight very, very slowly. But really, they they kept it off pretty easily. Once they got where they wanted to go, it was pretty easy for them. And I thought that was really interesting. And when I dove into that, I really recognized that it was their relationship to abundance and scarcity and Hmm. scarcity deprivation. And the clients who were very comfortable depriving themselves and being in a state of saying no all the time could lose weight very quickly. But keeping it off, once they had to say yes to something, once they wanted to live a normal life, once they wanted to go into a Shabbos and actually experience a Shabbos, they didn't know how to handle that. There was no space for it to be safe, to have things, to do things, to be to feel good in abundance. And so they would put a lot of weight right back on because all or nothing. When people say all or nothing, that's what they mean. They mean, I don't know how to handle having everything. I'd rather have nothing. Wow. I never, I never realized that this is so, so important, which then brings us to now I understand why you put a lot of emphasis, a lot of focus on teaching women how to deal with Shabbos, specifically weight gain on Shabbos, because I guess that becomes a common pitfall, for lack of a better word. Yeah. And so instead of looking forward to Shabbos every week, these women are filled with anxiety about where they're going to eat meals at someone's Mm -hmm. restaurant. What's that person serving? Is that person serving food that's safe for me? No, it's not safe for me. I'm going to this event. I feel anxious, not just about how I look, but about I can't trust myself around abundance. If there's a lot of food, I can't trust myself. Mm -hmm. I can't trust myself to make myself nourishing food. I can't trust myself. And I want to, and that's where that desire for control. When people say, I want to be in control of my food. I want to be in control of my eating. What are you saying? You're saying you, if you're not controlling it, then you have no trust. There's no trust. And, uh, and on the opposite side, my clients who lose weight very slowly, and, and this isn't, you know, to across the board, but generally it's because they're dealing with things as they come up. Hmm. Why is it slower? Because there's this event and they're going to, and they want to learn to be comfortable in abundance. And so, yes, sometimes they're going to overdo it. And sometimes they're going to have less and and they're going to find what feels good. Just like with money, right? Getting comfortable spending money. You still then can overspend because you're trying hard to be comfortable and you have to do the check-ins. You have to check in. Did this really feel good tomorrow or was it impulsive? Was it Mm -hmm. spontaneous? talk a lot about the difference between spontaneity and impulsivity. Spontaneity is something where like God created this amazing circumstance. Like, oh my gosh, I went there and it wasn't just my favorite cookie. It was like my favorite, favorite, favorite cookie. And it was perfect. And it was this and the tea, but it was my favorite brand of tea. And the kids were so quiet and I sat down and I enjoyed the whole thing. And it was amazing. That's spontaneity. Impulsivity is there's a cookies in a meeting and I'm saying, no, 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 no. And right before I get up to leave the meeting, I grab a cookie. And to right. stay on the box cookie, I didn't want it. But because I'm focusing on it in my head, the entire meeting, how I'm not going to eat the cookie. Like to me, willpower should be saved for mitzvot. Like really, like there's real trials and tribulations in life and real temptations. Wow. We shouldn't be wasting willpower on food. What we should be doing is cultivating an environment that makes it very easy to make healthy choices 
and dealing with emotional triggers as they come up by working on our faith, working on our bitachon, getting, getting other life skills like communication, emotional management um, that help us deal with other things while we just learn basics about nutrition. Mm-hmm. What should I like? Really, like, I can do this anywhere. It doesn't all have to be brown rice and sweet potatoes. Like, there's a lot of food out there that you can enjoy. Also, getting in touch with your with your hunger. Like, yeah. the size gets bigger and right? Just like our homes over the years get bigger and bigger and bigger, and we fill them with more and more and more and more things. Over the years, the plate average plate size gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And what we see as normal is the variety and amount of dishes we serve on Shabbat or how complex the meals we serve at home should be. Right. So like, that's not necessarily real abundance. That's mm-hmm. just a little. Yeah. So true, right? Like you think of a croissant in Paris, at least when we were growing up, like I remember going when I was 15 to Paris, right? A croissant was like a little thing like this. You go, you go now to the bakery store, a croissant is like a massive thing this size. <laughs> Same thing exactly. with <laughs> exact single rugelach that we would consider like that's not a serving like that's what they're eating in Paris when they're like oh of course I have a rugelach like I have a croissant like we're so in our head like not understanding what's normal mm. and also take, give, that takes time the same way it takes time to think like I don't have to make 17 dishes for Shabbos but I could still be invested in making the Shabbos beautiful but you know I, I play a game with my clients the four to one game for every food that you're making, that you're so excited to enjoy. Are there four non-food pleasures that you're creating for yourself? Wow. So if you're excited about challah on Shabbos, are there four non-food ways you're investing yourself in Shabbos? Wow. That's really powerful because I could imagine how that exercise is like so at the beginning, it's like, wait, can I even find those four things? And that's what's so telling about the exercise. Yeah. You're like, okay, so I'm going to make 16 dishes for Shabbos. They're all going to be phenomenal. I'm going to order the sushi platter. I'm going to have the challah. I'm going to have this. But like, did you, and I'm not, not judging anybody by anything. Like this is something I still work on. I still check in with myself when I get excited because I'm a foodie uh-huh. about making a dish and doing a new thing. I'm like, wait, like, do you have a different Torah? Like, mm-hmm. do you have a song thing? Like, are you taking a nap on Friday? Are you having any guests over? Like, is the food the end or is the food the means? Yes. So powerful. So, so powerful. Um, you know, you talk about your money story and you talk about growing up, your relationship with food growing up um, that really stemmed from just having a bigger built than your mother, you know, your family, you didn't know that that was just normal. And that led to a rocky relationship with food. Um, what was your, what was your upbringing like when it came to money? What were some of the, the childhood, the messages that you heard, or the things that you learned, you know, there could be good, positive or negative um, right. in childhood? So my parents both grew up in more affluent, upper middle class, I'm ninth, uh, I'm eighth generation American. Mm -hmm. So a long time, very developed. And uh, my parents are, were Bali Chuva kind of right before I was born. So I grew up always in Jewish schools, always in a Shomer Kashrut Shabbat home. 
but they, they didn't. And they would always say how every time there would be like this huge financial setback, it was God moving them closer to God and like becoming religious. Um, you know, they went through a bankruptcy and really, and they, uh, yeah. And like, they went from being modern Orthodox to Orthodox. And then there was this other thing that happened and my dad had a plant that burned down and they, you know, became yeshivish. Like they got moved to this other community that like had this other influence on them. And at the same time, there was never anything ever that I've ever needed in my life that wasn't provided for me, mm-hmm. like on a basis. I, I'm very privileged. I went to a private school. And even though I had very traumatic money issues there of the principal coming to me and saying, hey, your parents need to pay tuition, like you need to remind them. But at the same time, I was there. I didn't get kicked out. Like I didn't go to public school because I couldn't right. afford it. Right. Somehow provided for. I had a beautiful wedding when I wanted to go to Israel. I didn't know at the time that they took, you know, my mutual funds that my grandparents had put aside for me and paid for it, but they paid for it. Mm-hmm. I, I went to college. I got my degree. I have zero, I had zero debt. Wow. My parents away and like found scholarships. And like I said, like I'm an academic, I had great grades, but they really went out of their way to facilitate Hashem making all of it happen. So it was very much abundance and scarcity, abundance and scarcity, abundance and scarcity. And there was, and, and it was, and it was hard. Also, there was a big dichotomy between my dad and my mom. Mm. My dad, very abundant and always like happy to, to do something and never made us feel like there wasn't money. But my mom always made us feel like there wasn't money. Like she, but as I got older, I also saw that my dad wasn't being responsible with money and my mom was being responsible with money. Mm. So like, also that played out in my marriage. Like, Ooh, can I trust my husband with money? Right. You know, uh, and it's, it's interesting how that, that played out, but also with food, my dad was overweight and ate everything he wanted. And really? my mom is uh, always vegetarian, very healthy, ate very small portions. Uh, again, like it was just very different, two different pictures that I was always presented with. You know, something that's being, I'm, I'm noticing in this conversation, which I, to be honest, I don't know that I had really thought about deeply is how much all of this can affect you said it from the beginning of your story, Hashem, you're how much it can affect our relationship with God and Judaism in particular, with and, 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 and as a result, taint our relationship with God, because it seems like it's, it, it's co it's webbed with, you know, like this kind of like, well, God, you're doing this to me so that I could be following your precepts better. And it's like, wait, 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 what? Or as you just mentioned in your parents' case, oh, God, you're doing this to me. We're, our, our business is going through a tough time because we have to be more religious. It, yeah. it's, I never noticed that. But this is, this is important to delve into and for people to recognize um, that there might be some toxic pattern um, to work through, honestly. Um, yeah. but that was the message I got in school. When I was in school, that was the message that you're supposed to look for God. Like if something's happening to you, it's happening for a reason. It's happening to bring you closer to Hashem, right? And, and they would put it in these very black and white terms that it's not okay to be upset about something or it's not okay to want to. I mean, nowadays, it's so different. Like now there's so many women 
who talk about sexuality, who talk about all of these different things. When I was, I mean, I'm 38. So I grew up in the eighties. Like that was not at least like in the base off of school system that I was in, that was not discussed. Mm. That was that like, that there's a natural desire to want to feel attractive. And, and, and today someone literally wrote to me today about Shaduchim that mm-hmm. she is for say, and she was dating. And someone said, said this week, like, I only want to date a girl who's thin. I, I only want to date a girl who what? Thin. I don't want to go out with a girl who's not thin. What and is so, wrong I mean, with this? I mean, like, this is, this is literally someone wrote to me this today that she's in tears, that she was in tears. This is a woman who's divorced, who's had four children. And like, and she's like, and it's not the first time. And I know that the first time I had connected, when I made that decision that I would not lose weight for dating was when someone who I respected a lot and was a mentor to me said to me, you have such a great personality, Lily. You are so beautiful. If you lose 20 pounds, you're going to have no problem getting married. Before we go on with this amazing interview, let me introduce you to a podcast that I think you might enjoy. Hey there, Kayla Levin here. I'm a newlywed and marriage coach for Jewish women. Working with married women around the world, I found that a happy marriage is so much more than a formula or luck of the draw. There are practical tools, paradigm shifts, and concepts that you can start using today to love your marriage more by the time you go to bed tonight. The work we do here will make your entire life better. You'll apply these tools in your career to finally get to the bottom of that load of laundry you've been procrastinating, allow yourself to take that vacation, or shoot for that goal. Pulling from experts across the mental health field, but always grounded and compatible with Torah wisdom, I am bringing you the absolute best tried and true techniques that have helped my clients overcome their biggest life and marriage challenges for you to experience right here. Subscribe to the How to Glow podcast with Kayla Levin on your favorite podcast platform. I'll see you there. Oh my gosh. I I have such issues with this. (laughs) But there's such a connection the same way. She said, so what did she say in this email to me today? She said, and you know, the girls who are really thin are holding out for a rich guy. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Same pattern. And and you know what the sad part is that we bring, we drag God into this. You know, it's like, as though this is God, as though this is godliness, as though this is actual Judaism. That's so, so upsetting. Right. It's like in the name of God, <laughs> in the name of Torah. No, people, no. Exactly. But I think that what's so liberating is that today we can have a different conversation. Yeah. Today we have people who are who are when I wanted to work on my money story, I had started with going to a Christian website to start to, to heal. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Or to, to track your money. And now there are so many from people who are opening up about about these real topics. And I hope I'm able to do that for women on Shabbat. And when I say Shabbat, I'm saying like most of us don't have time to deal with our weight story or our food relationship story, except on Shabbos. And that's Mm -hmm. also when we're confronted by it most. Like during the week, you have your routine, you eat your same things. It's easy to make a few changes. 
and get some momentum. But how many women lose weight during the week and then three pounds up every Shabbos? And then they also get into that deprivation state all week long. Right. Not a, it's not, you know, the difference um, I was listening to for everybody who doesn't listen to your, you know, um, series on divine trust. I love it. And you okay. gave, you reminded me of the story of Yossi and the fish and the diamond, right? And so for everybody who doesn't know, you, you can, you can, you know, give out the details of that, that story, but they should go and, and check it out. But it's about, he all week saved his pennies to enjoy Shabbat. That's not deprivation. That's intention. Right. And it's okay to have intention to say, no, I don't need to eat a piece of chocolate every single night. Mm-hmm. Because when I eat chocolate, I do it in, with intention on Shabbat. And it's part of the fabric of my experience. Yes. That's- yes. Just like it's okay to say, no, I don't need to buy this right now because I'm, des- I, I'm saving for my son's bar mitzvah experience, which I've already, you know, like I, I know this is what we want, right? Or whatever exactly. it might be, or going on vacation with my husband, going on an amazing marriage trip, whatever. My, it's in, called intention. It's not deprivation. Exactly. And so we, when we change our language around food to, I'm never deprived. You don't, it doesn't take willpower to not right. spend money on a dress when you're excited about the bar mitzvah. Exactly. When you're not really excited and intentional and fully emotionally invested in the bar mitzvah, then you might have to use some willpower, but also it's about creating that environment around money, right? Do I have a way where I'm checking in with my bank account and I know what I have and I know where the money's going and I've set the money aside already. So it's not that I don't have any money for clothes. I have money for clothes. I could use my money for clothes on this dress or I could not. And it's the same thing relationship to food. Like I need to have protein at every meal. I I need to have protein at every meal. Like me, But, you know, it could be, it doesn't have to be, you know, uh, a big steak, right? There's many options that you could have protein at that meal that would nourish you, that would satisfy you, but that would create the entire life of health that you want. My husband would tell you, Lily, my wife needs a big steak. <laughs> I, I love me too, and a steak, but you know, even within the steak, right? There's the cut of steak. There's right. eating all the steak, eating all this. Is it, are you having steak every night or a steak for Shabbos, right? And so it's, it's just changing that conversation around that in a more constructive way yeah. without being toxic positivity. It's not about that. It's about, do you even know what you want? Right. We're taking what's in front of you. Right. At the risk of sounding cliche, do we know the why, right? Are we so clear on the why? It's yes. so important. You know, I often ask my guests about challenges with money mindset or habits that they've had to overcome. I'd actually like to ask you the opposite. I want you to share with us some of the financial wins and successes. So uh, thank you. We're, we're, I'm still in progress. So many wins to come, but I'm in. Uh, some wins that we've had so far was just getting out of debt. We had those years when I was working at, and my husband was in school, tra- you know, gaining skills and working on being uh, on working um, that were really hard. And we got some bad loans. And that was really hard when we even, once we knew, once we saw how bad they were, mm. that first of all, there was a lot of anger there that we made such a stupid mistake. Um, and then coming to terms with that. And letting that go and then working on the solution and getting ourselves out of debt, that was huge. Um, being able to afford a real vacation and not a staycation. I remember the first year we spent $250 on a vacation. And then the second year it was $1,000 on the vacation. Wow. And then 
$100 on a family vacation. And just for everybody to know, the vacation wasn't more enjoyable. Wow. <laughs> $2,500 or $250. Um, it, 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 I can't say that it was like a better vacation just because we spent more money on it. That's mm-hmm. also a huge win. Really seeing that that's not so relevant. We think in your head that it's going to make such a big difference, but it, it really makes a lot, lot less of a difference than we think. Um, we were able to refinance our house and do a renovation we've been dying to do for 10 years. Nice. Um, paid off our car. Like these are things that create more mental space. Um, for me, making my own business bank account, like yeah. that huge one and still in progress even to understand it and how to use it better and how to do it right. But like all of those things, instead of seeing the money come in and go out and be afraid to look too close because God was going to take it away. Right. Right. And I love that you kept using the word we. Um, It's so refreshing to hear that because it really does sound like you're both part of this and um, where you're you're working on it together, which is it's an important message in and of itself. And I wonder if it's also part of what we you might teach your students, maybe they also feel alone in this struggle with food, but maybe there's space to also involve our partners, our husbands in this journey as well on a positive way. So uh, uh, that's a big part of it, especially around Jewish holidays and Shabbat. Part of the, I do workshops for my clients before each one as a group. And one of those things is, again, if you're making a four to one list, a lot of those things involve your spouse. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, having a talk with your spouse, you know what, when we go to this person's house, um, I, I, I actually, there's something there that I don't always feel comfortable with. And I notice I'm always overeating at their house. Can we like have a word that like, if I'm feeling like there's something, I don't know what it is. Maybe there's something in that relationship that sometimes throws me off. But mm-hmm. if I go home, like, you'll know that's, that's what that means. And teaching them also, especially people have been dieting a lot over their life that really can drive a wedge between you and your husband. Because you're constantly looking for approval. You're constantly looking for him to say, wow, 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 great job. And at the same time, you would resent if he is going to say that he likes you better at a lower weight, like nobody yeah. really that. Right. <laughs> but on the other hand, that's exactly what you want to hear as you're losing weight. But that is absolutely not what you actually really want to believe. You want to believe that he finds you equally attractive nine months pregnant and immediately after you had a baby. And, and when you've gotten back to that pre-baby weight, like, you know, so dealing with that inner conflict around, we could be attractive at all those things. And he's allowed to have a preference and it's irrelevant. <laughs> it's irrelevant. Um, and he's allowed to have a preference and he can find us attractive at all three. Right. You know, all true at the same time. Right. And we can also have a preference. Sometimes mm-hmm. we feel like preference that we're, we're, we're not being fair to the version of us who just had that baby, right? Like right. I like myself better here. Like, am I saying I don't like her? No, you, you could like both. Doesn't it, that one doesn't have to be at the expense of the other, but also around the relationship to food in our house, we have um, just awareness that also my kids are now involved in as they get older. Mm-hmm. Uh, if to talk about, like, if you notice yourself overeating to ask the family to make a change. My son actually um, mentioned a few weeks ago that he was feeling like he kept leaving the table Friday night. And I kept saying, like, we love you at the Shabbos table. Like, what's what's going on? And he's like, every Shabbos morning, I wake up and my stomach hurts. And I don't know why. And I was trying to figure out what I was eating Friday night that was bothering me. Wow. My stomach hurt every Shabbos morning. And it never hurts me the rest of the week. 
and he has celiac. So he is aware of the difference of when his stuff, it just made him more aware versus a kid who just doesn't even notice that there's necess- they don't know to think about food with why they always feel bad this morning. And, um, he realized, he said, I think I just eat more. Like there's too many courses like this. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I eat a lot the first course. And then if I'm sitting at the table, like I, I keep going. Right. And so I said, thank you so much for sharing that with me. If I put all the food out on the buffet at one time, all the courses, would you stay at the table if the food is on the buffet? And he said, as long as I feel good, I'm happy to stay. At, I want to stay at the table. And so that's what we did. We changed it in the family and nothing to do with weight. It, right. it, it, he's, he's a 19 year, 17 year old boy. Like he can right. eat. It wasn't about weight. It was about, he noticed that he didn't feel good Shabbos morning. Mm-hmm. You know, when you allow that to be a conversation. So then it can be like, you know what? I, I love ice cream. And I ask that we don't keep certain ice creams in the house, but anytime we want to go out for ice cream, we want to go get ice cream. It's totally cool. Right. But on a day where I go, I'm the one in the kitchen cooking the meals much of the time. And I'm going for frozen broccoli and I'm seeing ice cream. I go into that fridge or like freezer, maybe 15 times a day to get somebody something. at the end of the day, I'm just going to want ice cream because I saw it. Not because there's anything broken or wrong with me. It's something I saw it 15 times today. I like basically was on a commercial loop for Ben and Jerry's. So if I just don't see it there, then it's, it's just not a problem. And so right. when you, when you make it safe to have that conversation, then you also make it safe for your kids to have that conversation. Exactly. You. Exactly. Which is so like the way money conversations should also be around the house and with, with our families. It's, it's really, we're modeling the same thing. We're modeling the openness, the, the, the fact that we're not broken. We're just normal human beings. And again, the same thing. If I'm looking at on Instagram the whole day about to everything I could buy, eventually I will buy something, whether it aligns with my values and my goals and priorities or not. Right. Like, because I'm a human person and there's a lot of marketing invested in that I break <laughs> that I actually swipe my credit card. It's as easy as could be. And so being open with our kids about what's important, what's not important, when we made a good financial decision, when we made a good decision regarding what we were going to eat today for lunch or what we we're going to cook for supper or the plates we were going to put out for Shabbat. Um, this is just healthier for everybody. It is just healthier for everybody because it allows them to now feel comfortable and natural having relationship with this physical existence, with the food, with their bodies, with their sexuality, with their money, right? Because we've made it something that is natural, normal, and part of the human existence. And that God wants us to have relationship with these things. It's not like, oh my gosh, like you're moving away from Hashem if you're talking about these things. No, no, no. This is part of serving Hashem. I have to be comfortable with these things. I have to navigate these things that he put in the world. So beautiful. And uh, I had, we, I taught, I'm teaching a four day accelerator right now uh, called flow, find mm-hmm. your path of your body, open to possibility and weight loss. And so today's topic was love your body. And we, we discussed this idea that the same way buying extra expensive food for Shabbos isn't saying that Shabbos isn't good enough without the extra expensive food isn't saying that like, there's no value. You know, it, it's Hidur mitzvah. It's increasing love of the mitzvah. So when you want to increase your enjoyment of your physical body and appearance, if you come to it from a place of love, uh, God gave me this body and I am my body the same way I am my thoughts, the same way I am my feelings. 
I can't say, well, I'm not my body, I'm my soul. No, I'm no, all. Both. Right. You're all of it. So if God gave this, this soul through this hand and this body and this eye and this mouth and this stomach and these intestines, and all of that is part of it, inescapably part of my mission in the world, yes. then making it a beautiful place to live that I enjoy, that feels good, is Hidur Mitzvah. It is actually, it is, it is increasing the pleasure that you're supposed to get in your tongue wouldn't have taste buds if food wasn't supposed to taste good. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that like, you know, chips that are like poppycat stuff were like divinely designed for you to enjoy the whole container, right? But it means that if you're really in that place of kidur mitzvah, of making the body that you're living in the most enjoyable possible, then you're going to, just like that one in four rule, the chips can be enjoyable, but so is the workout. Right. So is the being able to walk without back pain. So is the being able to carry things and to carry your children and to hug and to, and to climb up to the top bunk to pat your kids back and not being, you know, to go on to you lean and activities with your kids and not being afraid you don't fit in the seat. Mm-hmm. You know, that's all part of enhancing your enjoyment of the role that you're already put here to do. It's right. not about body shaming or skinny is better or thin is, is higher. And the biggest problem I think is we've gone too far the other way sometimes of like, if you don't feel good, then you don't love your body enough. Mm-hmm. If you don't that you look this way, then you're, you're broken and you need, you're traumatized. There you and have the opposite. Tra- if you're, you're if broke. You, right. You're, and then there's he, the opposite. If you try to feel good, then you're too obsessed with your body. And we're saying, no, 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 no. There's a middle ground here. Right. There is trauma. And there, I, I had traumas and I have things that I still work through, but I mm-hmm. think that you look at them as like, they're really, again, in the end, they are divine opportunities to come closer to Hashem and to go on this journey. The, the journey was the, was what God was moving me towards the journey of my parents to become from could have happened no matter how much money they had. Right. There are a million ways Hashem could have moved them into the location where they needed to be, or they would have, could have moved themselves or, and have since. And, um, my, my best thing about my parents is that they're also always learning and evolving and always been to, to that, which is how they became from in the first place. So my mother's relationship with money today, I would say is much more abundant than it was with me and my childhood. And I think seeing her give herself permission to approach things differently is again, a gift to me and a gift I want to give to my kids to, yeah, like you might remember me differently with issue, different issues at some point, but I, I grew out of those. You'll also grow out of your issues. It's okay. Right. Right. So beautiful. Lily, I want to wrap it up with um, what I like to call Jewish money matters, fill in the blanks. And this is the part of the show where I'm going to give you an open-ended sentence and you'll finish it with the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah. Yes. All right. Um, number one, when I give my sir or tzedakah, I'd like to give to uh, Leket, I give it to a food bank and also give to feeding um, babies in Israel who their mothers can't nurse. They need materna and they need uh, formula and other sorts of things. Wow, that's so beautiful. I'd love to make more money because I really want to be able to take care of my parents when they're aging. And I know that's going to be a huge financial investment that I don't want to ever feel like it, it's coming at the cost of anything else for our family. Wow. But I and they live in the States and they're getting older and they, my dad has a lot of health issues. And I I really want to be in a place where 
I'm, I'm giving without any reservation. Mm-hmm. So beautiful. Something I wish I'd learn about money growing up is that ambition is healthy and natural and God gave it to me for a reason. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. I really, really love that money, spiritual or physical. Both. Something I splurge on unapologetically is. Um, mm, something I splurge on unapologetically. This is actually kind of hard for me to say I'm new to this. <laughs> um, something I splurge on unapologetically. Oops. Sorry. Maybe, maybe it's the healthy fruits and vegetables. <laughs> ah, that's not a splurge. That's a necessity. There you go. <laughs> there you go. That's a necessity. My workouts, that's a necessity. I would say something I splurge on now unapologetically is um, working less and making more time for myself, which is, I guess a splurge um, in terms of money. So good. So, so good. Um, Lily, spender or saver? saver. Were you always like that? I should know that you've been my, you've been in my program. So you should know this. Were you always like uh, that? Yeah. I, I, I tend to be, I, I, I love, I enjoy, get, I enjoy getting rid of things. I'm a minimalist. Like my husband's definitely um, more of a, a spender than I am in that he likes to have things and save things and things like he should save everything in our sh- like uh, garage for a rainy day. And I love, love, donating things and getting rid of things and having really quality things and having fewer distractions and things. Right. So yeah, I definitely a saver and a saver. I like to savor things. Oh, Uh, I like that. Yeah. Yes. I think we've had this conversation about enjoying buying things. I know like, I don't know if I would consider myself a saver, but I definitely, and I definitely take pleasure in buying less things, but of higher quality that last a long time. Like I'm not, I don't tend to buy a lot. I really don't. But when I do buy, it tends to be more of the high ticket because I just know that there's certain things that just, I'd rather see them in my closet or in my house for years, sometimes decades. Um, I am. So also even with coaching, right? Uh, If I hire a mentor, I don't, I don't think about, is this she the most expensive or the cheapest? That's not the question. The question is, is she the right fit? Right. Is this versus buying for the sake of buying? Sometimes I get clients and they're like, okay, so give me a list of all the tools I might need in my kitchen. I'm like cutting board, knife peeler. Like, yeah, I have other tools, but like, it took me years to buy an air fryer. Like I had to be convinced that it was like something I would really use and love and savor, which I do. Um, <laughs> I still, I, I still have yet to invest in one. So maybe you'll convince me. <laughs> uh, kids get older. It's amazing. When my kids were younger, it really wouldn't have served a purpose because I only cooked in bulk, bulk, bulk. But now I have many meals that I'm just preparing for myself or one other kid who's home for that meal. And so that's perfect. Uh-huh. Uh, Good to know. Okay. Okay. I'll ask you more that, about that offline. All right. Today I'm most grateful for. I'm, I'm grateful to to be alive and growing and living in Israel um, today. Like I'm, I'm really grateful to be raising my kids in Israel. Wow, that was inspiring. Finally, I'm Lily Aronin, and I believe Jewish money matters because money is the way that you're going to interact. Money and food are the way you interact with the world. So that's what you're put in this world to do. So you better interact wisely. 
Nice. Lily, tell us where we can find you. You just mentioned you're in the middle of a, a, a program. Um, where can we be in touch with you and learn how to work with you? So you can find me at Lily Aronin on Instagram, Lily Aronin on Facebook and at www.lilyaronin.com. Beautiful. And I thoroughly enjoy your Facebook posts. Like I have to say, I'm not on Facebook a lot, but when I am, Lily's right there and I'm right there saying like, 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 I love this. So yeah, definitely keep up the good work. This is an amazing, an amazing, it's amazing work and it's an important, it's important work. And I'm very, very glad that we had this conversation. I think it's a very important and valuable conversation. Keep it up, Lily, and continued success and come on over again. Um, you're, you're making me proud. What can I say? Oh, thank you very much. And thank you for being such a part of my healing in my money journey. And if anybody does not listen to your Divri Torah on YouTube, then they really should because not only do I listen to it, but it's now part of our date nights. We listen to it and then we discuss it. And it comes up every week on our Shabbat table too, because there's always something that we can bring from it to discuss in the Parsha and, and with the kids. So it's wow. really- Wow. I love that. I love that. I love that. And and you are one of my shining students and God wants you to be rich, which I, I adored seeing you every week and I miss seeing you. So this was really a treat for me to be in the same virtual room with you again. Me too. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to Lily for stopping by. This was enlightening and enjoyable, as I said at the beginning, at least for me, and I hope it was for you. If you like this episode, please leave a review and rating on the Apple Podcast section of the show. Every week, I will be selecting a reviewer of the week to win a 20-minute call with me. Also, be sure to send in those questions for Friday's Ask Yael. If you have recession-specific questions, this is a good time to send these as... Friday's show will hopefully be dedicated to the topic all about recession. You know where to find me. And speaking of finding me, well, if you want to find our guest today, Lily Aronin, all you have to do is head over to lilyaronin.com or she's on Facebook and Instagram at Lily Aronin. All right, everybody. See you here Friday. Have a great week.